Hello and welcome back to It's a Musical Podcast, a podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and we talk about them. Yep, I am sat here, handcuffed to the sofa, eyes pried open, ready to experience newsies. And I'm Drew. <laughs> oh, I'm Danny, hello. <laughs> yeah, so I don't... You, see, you make that joke a lot. I don't force you to watch these. I mean... I could be playing Animal Crossing right now. You could, but, I mean, we're in quarantine, so what? It's Animal Crossing or this. Yeah. Newsies it is. Yeah, Newsies it is. So, as we've said, this week we are talking about Newsies, the 1992 musical, but specifically the filmed stage show version. Is this the... No, it's not. I was going to say, is this the most recent one we've done? But last week we did Into the Woods, and that's... Um... This is the most recent one we've done. Yeah. Because the... The musical is newer than Into the, the Woods. The musical was written... The stage musical was written in 2011. Okay. So, Newsies was written in 1992. Yeah. As a movie. Yes. And Alan Menken wrote a bunch of the songs for it. He wrote ten songs for the film. And they hired Kenny Ortega to film, to direct it who also directed High School Musical. And we love Kenny Ortega on this channel. We're not selling Newsies. I love Newsies. Um, this is the film we're talking about right now. Okay. It did not do well, basically. The film was a bo- complete box office bust, but it gained a cult following, which then led to a stage show being written. Now, Alan Menken writing songs for it. Yeah. Kenny Ortega mm-hmm. write, uh, directing... Was it a Disney production? Did, yes. So Disney made this... Was it uh, distributed via Buena Vista as opposed to Disney? Yeah. It's Buena Vista home video, I yeah. think. Now, anyway. So it has starred Christian Bale. Oh, really? Yeah, in the, in the film. So this is, what, the, the 92 version? Yeah. So this is like 13-year-old Christian Bale. I think he's 14 or 15, yeah. He's baby. Yeah, baby and Christian he has the, Bale. like, proper 80s... Centre parted hair, like Leonardo DiCaprio, like that haircut. It's great. But because it bombed so hard, Disney just didn't do anything with it, basically. And it wasn't until they realised they'd sort of gained this cult following that in 2011 the stage show premiered. See, that's... That's odd, because Disney are usually very on, on, on the ball when it comes to their cult productions. Nightmare Before Christmas didn't do well at the box office. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mostly because of the style. I remember I wasn't allowed to watch it, because my mum borrowed the VHS and then decided I'd been too traumatised as a 7 I got to taken to see it and was traumatised. Yeah, so. <laughs> I didn't see it for the first time until whenever Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was released, because we, we went oh and watched God. that cinema and then came home and we had Nightmare Before Christmas. But mm. my point being is Disney seemed a lot quicker to capitalise on the kind of cult following of that. You know, you see Jack Skellington everywhere in Hot Topic. Yeah. He's quite a fashionable... I think that's easier to do with cartoon characters, though. It is, but nonetheless, especially given Disney have their theatrical... Mm-hmm. Um, division and they're so quick again Lion King maybe two years after the film the stage show was a thing we're here in 2020 and Frozen is going to be hopefully still premiering in London you know six years after it was released as a film mm-hmm. and obviously it's been in New York maybe a year already 
More than that, I think, now. So they're usually quite quick when they recognise they've got something that they can milk for more money. So it's really surprising that it took them uh, shy 20 years. Yeah. So it came from a push from Alan Menken because he wrote all the songs for it. He wrote nearly 30 songs in his... um, Process. Yeah. When he was coming up with what he wanted for the film... The film took it down to 10 songs in true Disney movie style, which isn't too bad for a Disney film, especially for a live action one. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it just, because it did so badly, Disney sort of just put it on a shelf and were like, we're not doing anything with this. Okay. It was one of their first live actions to be based on true events. Oh, cool. So it's based on the newsboy strike of 1899. Get my eyes, my eights. So it's very recent, you know, if it's 1989 and this was released in 92. Oh, 1899. Oh, 1899. Yeah, sorry. Oh, so it's even more old fashioned. This is set. 1890s. Victorian times. Uh, 1890s. It's set in America. Oh, I thought it would have been in. Because Christian Bale's. Wow, she's British. I thought it would have. Is he? Yeah. Okay. Well, it does a very terrible New York accent in this. Okay. He's not yet Batman. No, he's not yet Batman. I thought. Oh my this... God, he is Batman. That's why I couldn't remember who he was. Could you not? No, I just I was trying to picture him. So because it's based on real events, they tried to make it as accurate, historically accurate as possible. So still something for him to get his naturalistic teeth into. Yeah. Um, and it is quite accurate from what i've seen and from the research that i've done they did a good job with the film now the stage show 2011 premiered at the playhouse which is off broadway got moved to broadway 2012 because disney as soon as they want something on broadway can just have snap their fingers and yep and it ran for over a thousand performances cool and became a cult musical it then went on tour and was everywhere this is the first musical we have done on the show where I know absolutely nothing about it yeah your notebook is like not even half a page no it's it's about it's it's three bullet points Mm -hmm. uh, maybe 50 words yep I know absolutely nothing about this Um, but I feel like I should have I feel like it really took the world by storm, and this is something I should be aware of. Yeah. Well, how old were you in 2012? 2012, I had just started my teacher training. I was 22. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite surprising, actually. Because so, I remember hearing about it when it debuted. I listened to the soundtrack, and I loved it, and thought it was great. The songs are funny, and... In- this is the thing. Since 2012, you know... No longer being a student, no longer having to scrimp and save just to, to fund my degree. I had more disposable income. And especially being a drama teacher, I get the opportunity to see a lot more theatre um, for free. But also because I'm more willing to spend it. I make a, a wage that part of me feels I have to go see theatre yeah. to keep up for myself. You know, it's how I'm going to get better at my job is to see more things. <laughs> Since that time, 2012, I became a lot more in tune with what it was on and made it my mission to see a lot more than I currently did. Yeah. So the fact that I know nothing about music well, surprised me. This is a Broadway musical. But at the same time, I knew about Hamilton before it even no. came here. 
Hamilton was a phenomena, and Newsies was a cult phenomena. Yeah, but arguably is. This is going to sound weird, but like an underground musical. Okay. In that it has a huge following and people love it. Like you see people is it at the Comic-Cons. Rocky Horror of the Disney theatrical universe. Like, is it? <laughs> probably not. There's probably something more cult. I feel like it. It has diehard fans. So, yeah, kind of like Rocky Horror, where there are people that go see everything and will stand up and interact on stage, sing along. Yeah. Um, potentially also another Alan Menken one is Little Shop of Horrors is it very I think Little Shop of Horrors is a little bit more mainstream than Newsies but in a different way Newsies is very wholesome Um, and it has dark uh, themes ish but they're historically accurate dark themes whereas Rocky Horror and Little Shop are sort of paranormal yeah and like very cheesy and very kind of yeah let's throw whatever we can at the wall whereas this one gets sad and dark and has this sort of typical musical trajectory where act one is setting up the world and we learn everything we need to about the characters and then we just go down see in a good way everything you're saying goes completely against anything I thought this would be about Mm. you know I thought this would have been you know Bugsy Malone, but with newspaper sellers, you know, like two rival gangs, um, you know, both trying to see who can sell more newspapers. And I thought it was very much like it was essentially just a parody of gangster culture mm. and mob culture, but via the medium of um, via the medium of newspapers. So I thought this was going to be like nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. I assumed England. No. But then I also thought potentially New York. So this is the thing. When the film came out in America, it was called Newsies. Yeah. When it was released here, it was called The Newsboys, because that's what they were called here, was Newsboys. Um, And they changed it for the English audience. But it's Newsies, because that's what they were called in America. Yeah. So it's it's set in New York, but you have all the different factions of Newsboys from different parts. So you've got Brooklyn and Manhattan and the Bronx and Queens. Yeah. All the different so it's still kind of rival gangs territory and kind of <laughs> what you're doing on my turf yeah like, kind of Stop yeah peddling your wares when so when the tour finished the film version was announced for 2017 and they announced it in the same way that they recently announced hamilton yeah it was the all oh, your favorite cast members back for one performance and it's going to be filmed so unlike hamilton where Disney have announced that the original cast mm-hmm. is going to be coming to cinemas in 2021. Mm-hmm. That was filmed very early on. That was one of the original shows. Yeah. Um, Newsies was done after that point, reuniting them. Yeah, so they got all of the cast. They announced it, got all the cast back, and then spent, I think, a week filming it. On the stage in theatre. With an audience? No. Interesting. There are beats in it where you can hear audience clapping and things. But that must be, like, imposed. Yeah. It's sort of just telling you where it should be. That must have been quite a payday. Mm. Knowing that Disney want you to come back, you've got Disney kind of... Yeah. 
you know, in, in the palm of your hand going, okay, you want me back, but if I'm not back, you don't have the full original cast. And you've well, lost... this is the thing, and you, they, they changed aspects of it to make it so more that... theatrical. Yeah, so that it felt more theatrical when you're watching it as a film, but they also added in tracks for char- like actors who were the swings yeah. in the stage show are now in the show. Oh, so they've the come whole... back as well, and they've given them a chance to shine as a kind of thank you. Yeah, and then you've got Jeremy Jordan. I don't know who that is. You probably would. He's in. He does a lot of voice acting. Yeah. He's in the new Tangled series on TV. I've never watched it. He's in the last five years, which I know you won't have seen. He's in Supergirl. Never seen Supergirl. Um, he was in Smash. What Smash? Okay. Um. I'm trying to think what he was in that you'll have seen, but it's all musical stuff. Um, it's him, Andrew Keenan Bolger. Oh, I recognise that name. Yeah, you should. He's very prolific on Broadway. He has a YouTube channel. And what has he been in on Broadway? He was in Tuck Everlasting, which you that. won't have heard of because it was a flop musical, but I love it. Is it one that we can add to the list on the chance that... It's ever gonna have like a revival. They're never gonna film it. No. Oh, that's such a shame. And what I doubt it won't get a revival here. It's not Jason Jordan because that's a wrestler. Andrew Keenan Bolger. No. Jeremy. Jeremy Jordan. You might know him if you see him. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just loading up the old iPad. Jeremy Jordan uses Jeremy Jordan wife. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks kind of like off-brand, like older Tom uh, Holland. I know none of these things. The last five years got Anna Kendrick in, though. That looks fine. Yeah. Is that a musical? Yeah, we should watch that. That's that on my list. That can be on our list. That's a good one. Um, so Andrew Keenan-Bolger has been in a lot of stuff. His family are very theatrical. His sister has been in loads of things. Was he ever Billy Elliot? He looks like he could be a good Billy Elliot. I don't know. Oh, he was in... Um, He's Chip. In the Christmas Beauty and the Beast. Not the original one. Oh, it's the same cast, isn't it? No. Huh. Well, I reckon I do recognise his name. Um, yeah, he's been in a. He's a musical theatre person. He's not a not a film person. No, which is fair. But I do recognise the name. Who else is in there? Anyone else interesting? Uh, Cara Lindsay. No. Nope. Again, very famous Broadway person. Basically, you're not going to know who any of these people are. No, which is fine. It's just it's interesting to know who they are. I'm quite interested to know if anyone what what else they've been in like have they been in any shows that i would really like you look through the list then is there anyone on there that you recognize um i can't say i recognize anyone whatsoever fair enough i didn't think that you would based on your knowledge of this show i didn't think you were going to know anyone from this so it came out in theaters uh, in February 2017. Yeah. Weird time of year for theatre-to-film theater releases because they tend to save them before Christmas or summer. Um, so February's just sort of a weird Was this a, an expectation of it being a Valentine's? I don't know. It's a romance-esque. There's romance in it, so maybe. Yeah. Do you want to guess at how much money it made? I mean, it's probably going to be like five million, if that. Ooh, three point four million. Yeah, it's, it's very is small. 
but take as take for a film that didn't do well to a stage show that did really well to a film again. Which probably the budget for this film is, was arguably half a million. Yeah. That's a good take. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney would still be happy and obviously it gives them more content now for Disney Plus. Yeah. Which is where we're watching which this. Which is where we're watching this. The film, the original film is also on Disney Plus. Well, but that's because it's a Disney thing. Yeah. I'd be interested in watching both of them. Not today. <laughs> But if you know, bearing in mind seeing how well this music this musical experience goes, I'd love to see where it started and kind of yeah. how things have evolved. It's one of my favourite things is with um, book to film adaptations is controversially, I watch the film first Ugh. and then I read the book because Remind me when I'm dating. <laughs> well this is so this is the way. I, I can watch the film and enjoy the film. And then I can read the book and recognise the book is much better because they, they draw on certain things that but doesn't happen in the film. Things, the only parts that they'll, that filmmakers take from the books are the big plot points, so all of the twists are spoiled by watching the film first. No, I wouldn't say so, because Scott Pilgrim, as a film versus the six graphic novels, there's so much more character depth yeah. and detail that you don't get in the, in, in the um, films. But if you look at things like... The Hunger Games. I think the books are different. I think they add a little bit more. Mm. I still think it's... I I look at it and I'm thinking, okay, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince was one of the worst adaptations I've ever seen. And that really... Quite enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I hated it because it changed... My favourite bit is, is this big battle for Hogwarts. And I understand why they did it because why, you, you know, don't, don't blow your load on... Um, the Deathly Hallows final image, this final battle, by showing it two films early. I get their logic. Oh, you mean when Ginny and that are fighting yeah. the Carrows? Yeah. And that all happens in the books. Yeah. And they, lose it. It, and they lose it. And well, they lose that... Ginny entirely, so... Well, yeah, and this is it. I, I really enjoy watching once, enjoying once, and then mm-hmm. thinking, well, the book is far superior because I've read the book now. And it'll be interesting to see how Newsies is... Adapted from the film. Adapted from the film. Yeah. Um, watching it in reverse. It's kind of, that's what I'm saying, is we're doing it, we're watching the film first and then reading the book of Newsies. I did think, in my initial notes, Anna Radcliffe was in this. Um, that is... Um, how to get ahead in business. How to succeed in business. Right? Yeah. Because I remembered he was in something Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, Darren Chris was in that too, and one of the Jonas Brothers did it as well. Yeah, um, so obviously this is not Daniel Radcliffe's version no okay <laughs> that's a shame oh well so um we are going to read all about it yep um and then we're going to tell you all about it and the world will know and the world will know i don't get that <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. i'm sure i will when we return write what you know so they say all i know is i don't know what to write or the right way to write it and we are back. We've now watched the movie. And yeah. we are ready to talk about it. Absolutely. I always forget how much I love Newsies until I watch it. Because it is a great, enjoyable watch, I think. I think, yeah, it's perfect watching for kind of afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what we've done. Uh, Saturday afternoon, sat down, coffee's in hand. Yep. I enjoyed it. 
good. We'll talk about that. Obviously, <laughs> that's kind of the premise here. But I think before we talk about it, that is probably the most actively engaged I've seen you with one of these so far. Meaning you were laughing and sort of nodding along and getting in, engaged with the characters. I definitely think, yeah, I, I was the most into it. You seem to really care actively. about the characters. Yeah. Um, and I think that's down to good storytelling, a subject matter that I think is culturally appropriate and important to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, really catchy lyrics, really catchy songs. Yep. Is this this is the first Alan Menken show that we've talked about on yes, the podcast? It is, yeah. um, I know who Alan Menken is. I know that he is perhaps the most important person in the Disney company, bar Walt Disney. Sure. In your view, at least. In my view, yeah. Um, I I love Alan Menken. Why? Talk to me. I mean, I I can I can hear why. I but... think he's just an incredible composer, and just listening to him talk about the way that he writes his songs. And finding out about things that he projects he's worked on that you maybe don't know that he's worked on. Like he worked on Frozen. Yes. He gets no credit at all for anything to do with Frozen. He wrote the Captain America jingle. I know, which, which is, is so cool. He is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yep. which makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. I would love to see him return and write more ditties. Yeah. I don't think there's a song he's written that I don't enjoy. Yeah. I didn't realise until a few years ago that he was part of the creative process of Little Shop of Horrors, which I think is yeah. brilliant. You well, know. Little Shop of Horrors is... So, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman worked yes. really, really close together. Howard Ashman saw the B-movie Little Shop of Horrors, the like B-horror movie, yeah. um, and decided he wanted to make it into a horror musical, yeah. which then became sort of a spoof musical, and it was their sort of labour of love together, which is... Amazing. It is amazing. And he's somebody I know is very important to you. You know, he is... I've been in a room with him. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. He is the soundtrack to me growing up. Yeah, I am a a Disney child. The first film I ever saw Mm -hmm. in the cinema was Aladdin. Yeah. I am a big Disney nerd. uh, And a lot of the songs from the Renaissance, if not all of the songs from the Renaissance, are Alan Menken. Pretty much. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And it was With the a lot exception of, of, I think, The Lion King. Yes. Yeah. But I think he did a really good job with it, with Newsies, and I really enjoyed it. The, you mm. know, the, the songs, the lyrics, the um, composition yeah. was fantastic. And I think it must be quite nice for him, considering the movie, when the movie came out, was a flop. Yes. And Disney and he shelved it. The, he worked on yeah. the movie. And he, he wrote all the songs for the movie and then he expanded on it for the musical. And to have it become such a cult hit probably is really nice, I think, yeah. as a composer. To have something you've made. He's vindicated. Yeah. It's, and it's such a good show. I can imagine that Alan Menken is somebody who really cares a lot about everything he puts out there. Mm-hmm. So to have something be quite critically not panned but not well received yeah that's a black mark against his name mm-hmm. and it must be really nice for him to come back and say yeah i can make a hit out of this because yeah. you know after we've just watched it you've made yourself a uh iced tea yeah a boba a boba tea <laughs> i 
wanted to know a little bit more. I did a, a sneaky little bit of research. I want to see where these names came from. Okay. Probably stole your thunder a little bit. But I did see that him and Jack Feldman, who did the original music for Newsies, mm-hmm. they won a, a Golden Razzie yeah. back in 92 for Worst Song. Yeah. And they then went on to win a Tony Award for yeah. Best Musical. Mm-hmm. Or, or I didn't see what they won the Tony Award for. I don't know if it was a song or the whole musical. But that must be... It won Best Original Score. Which, you know, to go from one extreme to the next, mm-hmm. that's such an awesome feat. Music-wise, it won Best Original Score, Outstanding Music and Outstanding Lyrics. Yeah, and it is. The lyrics are very clever. Um, we'll talk about that as we go through mm-hmm. um, the review. But I think what got me so into it are the themes, yep. the storytelling, but the music. Yeah. So, Yeah. And the set. Oh, my days, that yeah. set. I love me a digital backdrop. And they use it so well throughout yeah. the play. It's not just one thing, it's a lot of things. And See, I'm not a fan of digital backdrops. I think it's killing scenic art in a way. And as somebody who has worked as a backdrop painter and a set designer and builder and painter and you know backstage person digital backdrops kind of hurt me a little yeah. bit because obviously it's art and somebody's made that still but it's we're sort of losing the physical no aspect. and don't get me wrong i'm not saying i want every show to have a digital backdrop mm-hmm. um i know that i've actively avoided trying to use them in the past where i can yeah. you know i think i think they can come across really bad sometimes and they're more sometimes detrimental. it looks cheap yes um if you're going to use them you use them right and i think newsies used it right yeah. i would hate to see a production of blood brothers that uses a digital backdrop it's not fitting to that era mm-hmm. i know obviously newsies is set in 1899 but i just think blood brothers is of that time as well yeah. it's timeless but to update a classic in that way wouldn't work. They don't have the physical set as much. They set they have Pulitzer's office. Parts. Yeah. yeah. They set his office with furniture, but the backdrop is what creates a sense of place. Yeah. Um, same with the theatre. So it's the best of both worlds, as Hannah Montana would say. <laughs> Good. Nice Disney reference. <laughs> it's appropriate. We are talking about Disney production. Okay, so starting from the top of the show. Again, just it's so clear that it's an Alan Menken score. He, he starts off with uh, a song I really Santa liked. Fe. Yep, Santa Fe. I did think it was somewhere that's clean. Yep. Um, he's got... Three he, versions of that song. He has. He's got um, somewhere that's wet, somewhere that's green, and now somewhere that's clean. He has completed the trilogy. Yeah. But what I like is that he has similar themes in all his work. You know, characters who want to be elsewhere that think the grass is green on the other side well that's a i don't think that's an alan menken thing necessarily that's a musical trope Mm. i would every musical a character will sing an i want song and alan menken is brilliant at writing i want songs because you have like the little mermaid somewhere that's um part of your world sorry and then somewhere that's green and santa fe bell sings um, I want adventure in the yeah, green. Yeah, she actually says, I want. You've got um, Out There from Hunchback and Notch yep. Darling. sings um, One Jump Ahead Reprise. Yep. Uh, 
they lots, all, there are they lots all of do. them. But, but did, he do, did he do Pocahontas as well? Yes. Because John Smith's kind of got, all my life I've been searching. I can't remember how that song goes. Yeah, Pocahontas' I Want Song is just around the river bend, though. Yeah, but then there's also uh, yeah, but we John don't care about John Smith. <laughs> no, we don't. But, but all of these characters, and it I think it's more noticeable, it. though, because he's got such a wide... Um, he has a lot of shows. He has a lot of shows, yeah. and in each show there's this theme of there's this one character now. Might be a musical theatre trope. Yeah. It's not something I've noticed in a lot of other shows. Like, obviously, Book of Mormon has it, yeah. but I appreciate the Book of Mormon is very much a let's take famous musical songs and rewrite them for our purpose. Mm-hmm. I've not noticed it in other musicals. I've Wicked is The to. Wizard and I. Yeah. Waitress is What Bacon Can Do. Yeah. Name some other musicals, I'll tell you what their I Want song is. Avenue Q. Avenue Q, the I Want song is What Do You Do With a BN in, in English. Yeah, okay. Um, let's think of another musical. That's really stumped me. That question on a musical podcast should not stump me. No, it should Being put under pressure. Um, okay, Into the Woods. Into the Woods is the I Want song. Okay. Joseph. Joseph is... Um, Joseph's I Want song doesn't come for a very long time in the show. Joseph's I Want song is Close Every Door to Me. Okay. Which is a, at a weird place. Generally, I Want songs, as a rule, come at the beginning of a show. You're setting yeah. up a character and what they actually want. From because we're trying to get behind them and say, this is where they want to get. Yeah. And along the way, they'll realise that the actual journey isn't to get from A to B. It's to mm. appreciate what they've got at A. Yeah. Cats is all just the I Want. because it's Every single character has an I Want. <laughs> Kill me! And that's what happens if you have an ensemble cast, like Into the Woods. They're all singing their I Want song yeah. at the same time. Fair. Um... But I think it sets the world brilliantly. They wake up on the roofs of New York City and immediately think, right, okay, they're homeless. So they're not homeless. And I saw you write this down. They live in, at the time, there were, um, I guess, hostels, what what we would now consider a hostel, for newsboys and girls, because there were news girls. (laughs) But this play won't tell you that. But we won't see them in any version of Newsies. Um... And it was, like, two or three of them to a room, like like a hostel, essentially. But that's kind of... But it was a good environment to live it's in. So it's opposite of... It's the opposite of the refuge. Yeah, yeah, because the refuge, they make a big point of the cramped conditions. Mm-hmm. So I've seen two to three to a room, that's kind of... But in hostel style. So when... So when you think about a youth hostel... So when we have the stairwell bit, which I really liked, where it's just, like, all yeah. the digital displays, the curtains are down, we have that one square, but then all the other squares come to that, them all getting ready in their own private rooms and going Not private rooms. Well, but... not private, but, like, they're two or three to a room. Yeah. It's good. I like that. They do... They all live somewhere. It's just Jack likes to be up on the roof because it's above the rest of the skyline and he feels like the air's cleaner up there. Yeah. And, and obviously we do later on meet the brother duo that are new to the, the newsy routine mm-hmm. and are doing this because their father's been injured and their only source of income is now them. Yeah. So obviously it's not a case of these yeah, are just orphans. orphans. Yeah. Um, but I think brilliant exposition kind of, I established they're down and out. Yeah. But they're still, and it's what I said was my note for like the second song was... We may be down, but we're not out. Like, we have what most people might might look down on us and think our lives are really pathetic, but we're having fun. Mm-hmm. We love our lives. We wouldn't change them for anything. Yeah. Um, and I think they would. Well, I think... 
Obviously. But like in a yes, they're not Jack, trying. No, this is it. Jack wants to go to Santa Fe. He wants a better quality of life, but he's not moaning about the life that he's got. Most people can look at them being newsies and think they're the bottom of the ladder. Yeah. They're not complaining about that. They just kind of more would like to escape New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of the costuming, they've all got fairly similar costumes. Yes. But Jack stands out immediately. And it's such an important thing when you kind of want to build a sense of unity and camaraderie between a group. Jack having his blue shirt and waistcoat sets him apart from all the other newsies, mm-hmm. which means I'm looking at it going, right, I know he's a leader. Yep. And each one of them you were saying to me, and I noticed it as we watched, had like some kind of unique prop or feature that made them stand out. Also, we had yeah. Romeo. Romeo has red tights. Yeah. And we've got, Specs has glasses. Yeah, and we've got Crutchy, who's got a crutch. Um, but That's not his real name. Like, I know, so it's his nickname in yeah. the same way, you know, I'm sure Specs isn't his real name. Yeah. But each one of them has something that helps them stand out. Mm-hmm. They don't all necessarily get well-fleshed-out characters. I remember Crutchy, I remember Romeo. Yep. The rest of them, not so much. Mm-hmm. But it's really good, I think, when you're having a cast that's all look quite similar, yeah. bar a few exceptions, to encode the costumes that way. Well, it's the same as, I think, with like Annie, which I know you haven't seen Annie, nope. but when they there's a very interesting documentary about how they made the Broadway revival, and they were looking at the costumes, Yeah, and it's how you make every child look like an orphan but also an individual. Yes. And it's hard. It's oh, it is. You know, doing School of Rock is very difficult because you do want... School uniforms. School uniforms. Yeah. But you want each character to stand out a little bit and it's small things so we have you know our fashion designer um student yeah. instead of having him in a red tie like everyone else we gave him a red bow tie small things just to kind of make each character stand out a little bit unique it is challenging when costume calls them to look the same mm-hmm. so it is really nice that they all had these little quirks yeah and something i noticed very very early on and i'm going to touch on this because i think this made this version for me I love hearing the audience. Yeah. I adore it. You know, different moments, the big cheers, the laughs, the whoops. And you can tell it's an audience that loves Exactly, and it makes you more passionate. I listen to a lot of other podcasts. Um, One of my favourite ones is the Attitude Era. They review wrestling and how-to wrestling. But they talk a lot about how a crowd reaction can make or break a match. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a good crowd reaction, you're not as into it. If I was watching this and the crowd were just mild, I don't think I'd have enjoyed this. Yeah. It's obviously different with something like Into the Woods because it's cinematic, it's designed as a film. But if you're going to show me um, a live recording of a performance, I want the audience to be engaged. I don't want the audience sounds to be drowned out. I don't want them to be ignored. I want to hear them enjoying this world. Because otherwise, I'm just thinking, okay, the audience aren't enjoying the show, so why should I? I'm really glad that that was kept in. Yeah. It wasn't muted. It was encouraged. We had shots of the audience standing, mm-hmm. you know, not even for the interval or for the final. For one of the songs, But yeah. for one of the songs, we, we saw that. And I think that's brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. the audience are as much a character in these presentations as the play itself. And for me, I think Newsies was made, obviously it's a great show, but 
was made by seeing the audience have fun. Yeah, it's important. And the fact that you see, um, jumping forwards a little bit in the narrative, but to seize the day, Yeah. which is the second to last song of the first act, Yeah. that got a standing ovation. Oh, it did. And, and that's not even the end of act one. I thought, I said to you, go, well, that's the interval. And you're like, is it? And I yeah. thought, for sure, it's the interval. There was one bloke who stood up on me, you could see him going up the aisle. See, clearly everyone's standing applauding. He's going to get his interval drinks. Yeah. Um, and I really thought everything about yourself to be the interval. I don't know how much of it is them cheering because of the song, because of the amazing dance numbers, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I got very into it because I think there was a sense of camaraderie between me and the audience there. Yeah. You were enjoying yourselves equally. I took very few notes on this at times. I was very aware that I wasn't writing, but that's because I was so absorbed in the story. Yeah. Okay, so we are introduced to Jack Kelly, who is our main character. Yeah. Crutchy, who is his friend. Can I ask, out of curiosity, what was kind of the reception to Crutchy as a character? I've never seen anything negative. I like Crutchy as a character, but obviously disabilities are hard to portray yeah and it's quite i quite liked the fact that we had he wasn't so central in act two but in act one he's a big part of this world yeah i think he's the motivation for act two. yes um and i don't think he's necessarily ridiculed for his disability mm. i think obviously they joke about it because it's his identity you know with the whole what's your leg say today yeah in the same way they joke about romeo yes being in love with every guy. but i think that's a really positive for me in media representation of disability where it's there they'll joke about it it's part of his identity but i think it's portrayed in a really positive way mm-hmm. and i just wondered if there'd ever been any kind of not that i saw while i was doing research for this but i could see why some people might potentially have an issue with it because obviously he is andrew keenan bolger doesn't have a they describe it as a bum leg like he's not on crutches, he's not disabled, he is an able-bodied he man. He is, and you wonder, should a role like that go to somebody who isn't able-bodied? We watched Encore, mm. um, and we had that amazing episode for Oklahoma, yeah. where one of the people who'd come back to perform in it was now confined to a wheelchair, and he, I don't know who the actress was he spoke to, but she's a professional. I can't remember her name, she currently plays Ado Annie in Oklahoma. Yeah. And I... I can't remember her name. Or and that was really nice that they rewrote the role. Presumably Oklahoma isn't designed with no. wheelchairs in mind. But you have examples of performers out there that are disabled. You know, obviously Artie in Glee mm-hmm. isn't confined to a wheelchair. No, and is a dancer, and which I it, always found very strange. But nonetheless, at a time... But she's in Glee. She is in Glee. But would she have maybe had... Would she have maybe had the opportunity she has now, if not for shows where they portray disability and show? It's a that's cur- a topic for another it's time. A, yeah, it's a curious one, but nonetheless, I just wondered what was the response to Crutchy? Nothing so far as I've seen. People really like his character. Yeah, I liked his character. Um, I think there's a really sweet hero worship, like a brother, even though they're not. He really looks up to Jack. He does, and you can tell it, and it makes it makes you more endeared towards Jack. Like Jack is a great character as it is, but I think Crutchy is so important, especially in Santa Fe, establishing the way you view Jack. Mm-hmm. And 
crutches if crutches performance is wrong we don't respond to jack the way we do throughout the rest of the piece yeah they're setting him up yeah um so we go with them we meet all of the other newsies as they're getting ready for the day while they're singing carrying the banner yeah my now my favorite coffee song there that has ever been written yeah that's really funny um me drinking my coffee going hey there's a song about coffee um Um, and they all get up and they go and get their coffee from the nuns from the church and then they head down to get their newspapers yes and this is the point where i thought okay so we're going to get a bugsy malone type narrative right because you that's what you guessed beforehand as well yes which obviously i was wrong but the way that they're handling or interacting with the boys who open the gates. I, you got the them, Delancey brothers. The Delancey brothers. I thought we were going to get like a different. They were other newsies at first. That's what I thought they were. They were collecting their newspapers for the day mm-hmm. from other news vendors, and you're going to get this kind of rivalry. Obviously, completely wrong, but a really nice dynamic that you establish kind of the antagonists or kind of minor antagonists. Yeah. And that's the thing, the Delancey brothers are like sub antagonists because yeah. they are horrible <laughs> the first thing that you're told about them is that they've been they got paid to beat up the striker the striking people from the tra- trolley strike yes and one of those people was their dad yeah and like that immediately sets you up to be like okay we're not gonna like these guys and that trolley strike is such a minor kind of bit of information at the start mm-hmm. You know, um, but it's so important. You know, the newsies are all mocking the trolley strike, going, oh, it's boring. No one's going to care about this. We're not going to make our money today. Can we just get something exciting? And I really like that naivety of childhood. Even though they're they're outworking, there's still that kind of naivety that the world doesn't matter around them. They don't care what is going on in the world. They just care about the headlines so that they can sell these papers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's then really important for their development as these characters. Yeah. Which, you know, brilliant. I love it when characters grow. I don't want characters just kind of stay the same. Even if they're minor characters, it's nice when they grow a little bit. You want to believe this journey changes them. Yeah. And then we're introduced to our actual antagonist, which is Mr. Pulitzer. Yes. So, obviously, very, very famous journalist in real life. This is not a fictional villain. Mm-hmm. Um and I know this is not a fictional event. So he's... The Pulitzer Prize is a prize for journalism. And obviously he's got such a legacy that he's seen as important enough yeah. to have that kind of legacy. Um, and he establishes his... He we establish his plot. Yeah. Um, sales are down. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to charge the newsies... 10 cents more yes for their 100 newspapers that they're then going to go out and sell Mm -hmm. doesn't think it's a big deal and that kind of surprised me because I thought that was their jobs I didn't realise that they were kind of buying into these newspapers I thought yeah it's like a pyramid scheme well this is this is the thing and I kind of felt oh that's and when I realised what was going on I thought that's really bad Mm -hmm. um especially because in the scene before with J. Jonah Jameson Mr. Weasel yeah why is that he, I was pretty certain some of the other newsies were paying that 50 cents for maybe 20 newspapers or... It's not made clear. So Jack buys 100. He always buys 100. And so he pays the 50 cents. Mm-hmm. Davy, who is a new newsie, and we're introduced to 
because he and he was a Thai because he's posh. Yeah. Um, he. Only, he pays the same for twenty. He looks like he pays the same. Yeah, Jack puts down double the amount of money that yeah. he does, which you can't tell. Yeah, I didn't know if they were all being charged made flat rate. Very clear. But that again, it's such a minor. That bit's not clear, but what it is clear is it establishes Jack as the leader, but also he cares about everyone else because he's there backing this person he's never met before. Yeah. Um, you've undersold him, you give it to him, don't make hassle for him. And then we mm-hmm. establish this jokey, so it's like, I'm going to stick with you, not because I care, but you've got a kid, we'll, got a rinse, kid. Yeah. we'll rinse that, and you get the lovely little banter between, you know, 70-30, 50-50. 60-40. Yeah. And it's, you know, Jack is a character that's clearly got a good moral compass but still knows how to have fun. Yeah. You know, and I, I like that. And we go, yeah, we go back to Pulitzer and he is this villain. It's a weird type of villain because there's no interaction at this point. There's no seemingly mortal threat yeah. to the Newsies. But and I think that detachment makes him yeah. Because he has no thought at all about actually their children. Yeah. Because even his secretary, who is just one of the best side characters. Oh, I love the side. I expect the people he works with. Yeah. They they have some really lovely moments throughout the whole whole play, and they're not on it for long. But there's really lovely moments in his office with the other characters. Yeah. It's where his secretary says about, she says it's going to be awfully hard on those children, and. The way that he's talking about them... It's a lesson in economics. Yeah, but he talks about them as if he's talking about adults. Yeah. Because he doesn't have an understanding that they're kids, they're not thinking about this economically, they just want to be able to eat. Exactly. Um, And he doesn't care, particularly. (laughs) He shouts, where is my football? Because he doesn't like Theodore Roosevelt because he tried to ban football, the great American pastime. I think the great American pastime is baseball. (sighs) Well, either way, he he's not happy because the football is at risk. Yeah. I really like the juxtaposition of the rich and poor. You know, the, the thick clothes that colours. he wears, the colours. Yeah. But, like, also the the difference in their gait, in the difference in their poise. Mm-hmm. They're slow, you know, um, Pulitzer and his, his fellow adults. They don't move as much, they're calmer, but the news is very frantic, they're the voices are different. There's a lot to establish the difference in these worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think as well, this is a musical that is very appropriate in 2020. Because yeah. he's talking a lot about the power the media has, that he will have his say. Because if he writes it, it must be true. And obviously, in the world we live today with all this fake news, but also the power when it comes to elections yeah. of what the newspapers say influencing people. Well, he even has a line where he says if it isn't in the papers, if it isn't in the news, then it didn't happen. Exactly. If the tree falls in the woods and yeah. no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, yeah. Well, that's dear Evan Hansen, but you know. Well, I, either way, <laughs> I mean, it's a very important message for today. And I think considering it's set in 1899, mm-hmm. The fact that message is still so important. You look at how far we've come as a society, and yet we still have this issue where the media tells us what to believe, not to get all political, but yeah, that is still a very much an issue that people's lives maybe are worse because they listen to the wrong sources. Mm-hmm. 
and I really like that he's aware of the power he has and he uses it so flippantly like and yeah and as soon as he raises the prices he raises from 50 cents to 60 cents all of the other um everyone follows suit because if he does it anyone can do it it's that domino effect Mm. um and then we cut back to the streets and we establish what the world is for the newsies and we see Les practicing some really good coughing protocol, coughing into his arm. Yes, I saw you write that down. But I like the fact that Davies very much, I don't lie, will do this honestly. And Les is straight into, I'm a poor orphan, I'm dying. <laughs> and gets the money. And I think that's yeah. really fun that, you know, Davies the brains, but Les is kind of, he's more savvy. He's, he's young. so feisty. He is. He's younger, but he's got a better understanding of the world than his older brother. Mm. I get the sense that Davy's been quite sheltered. Davy hasn't had to work yet. Yes. But either way, it's a really fun dynamic between those brothers. Um, you don't get the sense that Les needs to be looked after as a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and, and there's, you don't get much between them. You know, there's, you don't get much brotherly interactions other than the fact they are we're told he, at the start. He's just sort of toting him around. Yeah. Um, and they're always together, obviously, but they're just sort of there. Yeah. And then we get some very adult humour for a Disney production. Yes, you do. And we go I to found... the burlesque show. So here's the thing with this they go to the burlesque, and there have already been a couple of adult jokes, and we're at the burlesque show, and there's some more adult jokes. Which they don't actively say it's a burlesque show, no, but. You... but... The song that she sings has... They've changed the lyric... Oh, really? ...for the film, because... I don't know why. The lyric is supposed to be... Um, so this is That's Rich. Yeah. The lyric is supposed to be, I've got men, I've got money, and yet the thing I want most I can't get. And in the version we just watched, it's, like, I've got everything lovely and yet, or something like yeah. that. It's mild, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense because the rest of the song is her singing about all the men that give her money yes I really do like Les being like you know perving on the women <laughs> but you can see their legs that's the point um, it's educational I liked I mean the scaffolding I keep being marvelled by the way they use the scaffolding it's really good multi-purpose staging to do a lot with and the fact that they, they turn it around and it becomes the seats in this theatre mm-hmm. My one kind of issue with it is, is 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 it Meta? Meta, yeah. Meta. When she's singing at this point her, you know, um, That's Rich song, she's singing it to the audience, yeah. to us sat in, in the stalls. But there's lines that are very personal to maybe the clientele that come there. And yeah. I'd have loved it more if she was singing to these men that are in the audience, you know. In the stage audience. In the stage yeah. audience. I feel like that's something that can be done more. If you're going to bridge the gap that way, have those characters be interacted with. Mm. But again, you have these these scaffolding and the curtains come down and we use them for silhouettes because we go backstage, we just turn the scaffolding around, we go backstage. The um, burlesque performers are muffled and we can see them very yeah. dimly lit. Through the screen. As we meet um Catherine yeah well we've already met her but we start to have more understanding of her and and Jack's interactions mm. and he falls head over heels instantly in love with her but it's another really good use of where the the digital um displays are used fantastically because we have Jack just sits and he just sketches her 
Mm-hmm. And that sketch is kind of, it's not live, but we see it come up on the screen. Yeah. And that's such a really lovely thing because we see Catherine the way Jack sees her. Yeah. Which instantly makes us know this isn't maybe a passing fancy. It does a lot of things. We've established that Jack does the backdrops for the theatre. We mm-hmm. know he's an artist. But this establishes he's not just, you know, throw any paint at a wall and see what fits. He's, he's a talented artist. There's more to this boy than maybe he would let on. And it's quite a vulnerable thing for him to draw, and he leaves it for her. Yeah. And we see that painting itself, and it's it immediately makes this character, who's quite standoffish with him... Yeah, he's... softens her. Yeah. Because we see her through Jack's eyes. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. It made her character start to feel a lot more important. Obviously, she's going to become important anyway, but it's more really good exposition that says this character is someone to watch out for because this is such a significant, beautiful, vulnerable moment from our main character. Mm -hmm. You know, when we watch a show, we see it through the eyes of the main character. It's really important, and we're seeing this through Jack's world. He is our guide in this world. Yeah. And I think it's really nice to see something private that he sees we're sharing in that moment. And when he puts the newspaper down, and only because we're zoomed in, yes. because we're watching the film version, the newspaper he's been drawing on, you can see the drawing on it. They actually printed it onto the one that he's... I didn't notice that. Like, That's acting awesome. like he's drawing onto. That's really cool. And then we get kind of into the bread and butter of this show. Yes. Which is unionising, which really surprised me. That yeah. that is the the plot of this show is how do we make a union? Because unions seem to be a dirty word in America. Um, I don't know enough about it. I Again, it's a wrestling thing. I know that um, wrestlers aren't employees. They are independent contractors. That makes sense. But they don't get health care. That lot, makes less sense. They don't get a lot of these things. And there were calls in the 80s to try and be unionised. Mm-hmm. And a very famous wrestler basically went and snitched to Vince McMahon, who is the most important figure in wrestling, and said, the boys are planning a union. And he came down and he's like, you plan a union and you won't work for me again. And a union has not ever come up since that point. That's basically the plot of Newsies. I know. Except instead of saying, OK, well, then we won't have a union, they go... You can't tell us what to do. But this is the thing. And to this day, mm-hmm. they still don't have a union and they're still not protected. And for me, I know that that's something a lot of Americans... union Being unionised is kind of a dirty word. It's not the same in the UK where people know it's the right call for, you know, a better quality of life and better... Um, I think better for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm part of the teaching union. Well, this is the thing. When I was at, I studied illustration at university. We had people come in from illustration unions to talk to us and say, "Here's how important it is to join a union," which I didn't ever, wouldn't have ever thought of, to be honest, with illustration. Yeah. Um, but it's but important. I think, and this is something that Jack touches on, and it's such a brilliant speech. But unions don't just protect you as the individual; mm-hmm. they protect the industry. You know, the education unions, I don't agree with everything, but at their core, they're protecting the staff, but they're also doing their best to ensure the best possible quality education for the young people. Mm -hmm. This isn't me saying join unions, it's just I know they're important. I'm surprised that Disney, because they've had issues with illustrators in the past. 
Yeah, and there is a controversial history. I'm a big Disney fan. I'm Same a Disney here. lover, but there is a big controversial history with Disney and their artists union and also their um, cast staff, the, the Disney cast members in the parks. And they, I cannot off the top of my head remember whether they are unionised now or not, but I know that it was a big thing within the last couple of years. But that's, and that, that's something that really surprised me in mm. seeing that the plot of this production, which is a Disney film and a mm-hmm. Disney franchise, is about the importance of unions. And that really shocked me that, you know, it would have been one of the last things I'd have ever guessed this play would be about. <laughs> and I think that's something, again, it just, it, it, this is a, a play that it's not just mild entertainment. This is culturally important. It touches on some very real topics. You know, Jack goes on to say, we're not just doing this for the newsies. We are doing this for all the workers. All the working children. All the working children. Yeah. Because that's what they are. They are children. Yeah. We're doing this for all the working children. And that is such an important message. And Jack gets it. It's not just about his quality of life, but the quality of life of everyone. Yeah. And I just, I, sh- you know, the, the protect, uh, the, 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 representation of unions but also the representation of feminism with Catherine's character sure I mean do you not agree I have opinions about Catherine I I think the way she stands up for herself and is can a woman not write yes in that day and age in 1899 Mm. that's there's only one part of that show that I find to be feminist yeah. inherently which is and they've placed it very strangely because it's Pulitzer that says it Yeah, and he's the bad guy but he has a line where he says I offered my daughter a life of wealth and like luxury yeah. and she chose to pursue a career and she was doing really well at it and he's he sounds proud of her it is jarring. I know exactly. But he's the bad guy. So we, are we what are we supposed to take from that? That he's wrong. Yeah. And that she should have just accepted a life of luxury and not had a job. Or he's I don't not know. Bad. She bothers me. Catherine bothers me a lot because Catherine Plummer, Catherine Pulitzer, isn't mm. a real person. Oh, is she not? No. Mm. Pulitzer had a daughter who died when she was one or two called Catherine that's who she's named for she is actually a mix of two real people um, one of whom was Jack Kelly who wasn't a real person either oh that's such a shame yeah I'm sorry so Jack Kelly is based on a couple of different leaders he's an amalgamation of several different yeah of the newsies and I mean obviously in a show and any sort you're going to have to have creative licensing yeah but, but I thought this would be more on... biographical and these were real people. Yeah. So Catherine is based on a woman called Sarah Jacobs who was the love interest of a prolific newsie yeah. in this and a reporter called Brian Denton who was a man, obviously. Uh, it's a very weird choice then, but then... They've made her a woman because there are no girls in the yeah, show. Yeah, there are no female and characters. The only female characters in the show are Catherine who, to all rights, should be a male character because she's based on a real person who was male. The secretary and then some nuns. The secretary is also one of the burlesque dancers. Yeah, and the burlesque dancers. And then Meta Larkin, who 
is a feminist character. She is a woman in this time. She runs her own company. She's paying a mortgage on a theatre yeah. that she's paying for and making lots of money. And she's well-to-do in society. Yeah. She knows Teddy Roosevelt. Like, Oh, yeah. She's the feminist character. I don't like Catherine. <laughs> no, that's fair. And I mean, it, it just... I can understand I that. It makes, it's a me. weird choice to have removed a male character, you know, historically and put it yeah. that way. That's a very weird choice um, and a weird way to frame it all. Yeah. Interesting. I had, obviously, I had no idea. No. Um, the other thing was there were news girls at the time. There were women involved with this and the adaptations of this and the script, nowhere does it call for it to be an all-male cast. Yeah. And the, the scripts that they release for, like, school adaptations and... Um, community adaptations all of the newsies are gender neutral characters which is good like specs doesn't have to be a guy well i'll be honest watching it i'm thinking in terms of performance potential within our confines of you know we are a, Mm -hmm. a secondary school with boys and girls how do we go about changing it my immediate my immediate idea is you have some of the newsies very simply be girls yeah, and I, I reckon you could easily put um, specs, easily put Crutchy as female characters. No mm. one bats an eyelid. We've joked in the past about if we did Wind in the Willows, we'd make Mole female. We need more female characters. Yeah, yeah, because you can't have Mrs. Otter. No, and but her daughter. I think it's good that Disney would allow it because there are certain scripts that say nope, not allowed. Um, I've just got to touch on the fact that throughout this play, the choreography is... It's incredible. Oh, the choreography is amazing. Like, in, in the song as well, when they set up the union, the, the the way they all move as one is so important. Which one? The world will know. Yes, the world yeah. will know. Um, the way that all these characters are moving as one is so incredibly important to build a sense of unity. Yeah. Um, so... Choreography. I was really intrigued. I wanted to see if they, if, if he got credit. I couldn't see it first. I had to rewind the credits. I must have blinked. Mm-hmm. Christopher Gatelli. Yeah. Won a Tony for this in 2012. Yes, and deserved it. Yes. I also saw that he worked. I was trying to see what else he'd worked on, see if there's anything I was familiar with. He did the King 2000... and I in 2015. Yeah. King and I, which got shown in cinemas. Really? Yeah. But he was... Um, that was the only show I had name value of. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, reading his Wikipedia page, he, he was in Cats when he was younger. He was in Cats? Yeah, I don't know if it's a main... It might have just been a school's production. But if you um, scroll to the top of his Wikipedia page, I see you got it loaded there. Yeah. He was what? Oh, he was Pounceable. That's yeah. so cool. Um, but there's a lot of... Um, and I thought there were some real comparisons to Billy Elliot thematically and, and even the dance style. ballet. It is ballet. But that's interesting that he, you know, would have been in Cats when he was younger, because I think Cats... Cats is contemporary ballet. Yeah, so... But I do think Christopher Catelli made this production even better. It's just a ridiculous level of dancing. It's incredible. So I I think it's um, The World Will Know. No, it sees the day. Sorry. When they tear the newspapers up and they're dancing with their feet on the newspapers and they slide through legs, but these newspapers say attached to their feet, and it's just brilliant. Like that mm. must have taken so much planning. It's a great 
this is quite funny. In the background of Seize the Day, one of the boys kicks himself in the face. Oh, really? Because he does a high kick that is so high that he manages to, like, just get himself in the face. And it's... Like, imagine being able to kick your leg up so high that you can accidentally kick yourself in the face. That's, that's such a first world problem. <laughs> so going back to kind of the, the bit we're at, the timestamp of the film, we, we're introduced to Catherine Plummer. Yeah. And my immediate thing, I've written this, is going, why is she using an underplume? There's something there. Yeah. And it's so obvious. Like, love the foreshadowing there. You know something's crap. I didn't expect it. Because he even says to her, Jack even says to Catherine... What are you not sure what your name is? And yeah. she's like, What's my writing name? It's not my real And I, name. I, I I wrote, and this is as she says it, why is she using a non diploma? And I've got a big arrow that just goes, to, Oh damn. Yeah. When it's revealed. And he actually says the line non diploma. I was like, Yeah, I use I use the right verbiage. Yeah. Um, but that's such again, really good moment because it's important mm. and it foreshadows something's gonna happen later on. But I love their interactions. All of their interactions are really funny. The, the intera- he's so cocky. But I, I, he's cocky. I don't think he views himself as anything special, though. No. He's just he's he's having fun with his life. He he knows he's got a good reputation, but he really believes in what he's going for. Yeah. And he really cares about these kids. You know, he's such a well-rounded character that. He's almost like a child Jean Valjean that he's doing everything for the right reasons. Okay. Well, okay. It depends on your feelings on Jean Valjean. It does, but, you know. You know, stealing bread and everything. He's doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, and then we go to Catherine's song, um, which is What's What's What Happens. Oh, lyrically. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love the repetition of rights. I love the repetition of face and these these moments of songs where she's repeating the same bit again, the same yeah. word, stupidly tongue twister speed. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's brilliant. So I showed, I showed you the video. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a person, to go in and say, I've got the hardest song. Yeah, so there's kind a... Kind of obnoxious. There's a behind-the-scenes video of Cara Lindsay hanging out with some of the boys that are the Newsies. And she says, well, I think I have the hardest song in the show. And they all lose their minds because she sits at a, te- a desk and sings this song, which is quite Oh, worthy. it's a challenging song. I However, had to do several takes to get the wordplay right. Yeah. As I think from a pers- perspective of the guys that are playing the Newsies. Who have to dance. That's their break. That yeah. song is then they're probably off stage lying down. I'd be on the floor if so I this had This is to the do thing, is their dancing is so energetic and they've got to do a lot of singing whilst they're dancing and hitting some mm-hmm. very high notes. Yeah. I'm not saying they're working harder than she is or that they're better than she is. I couldn't do... But you can't compare them. No, you can't compare them. Which is why they I would struggle. Them. I think the way that that's written is very Gilbert and Sullivan kind of quick and fancy words. Yeah. I struggle with that stuff. I mean... Obviously, spoiler alert, news for everyone. I am not a singer. <laughs> I'm sure that will shock everyone to their very core yeah. who has listened to this. I am not a singer. <sighs> but I couldn't do what the newsies do. No. But I certainly couldn't do the fast wordplay that she does. I think they're both 
good for different reasons. I don't think you can safely say one is harder than the other. Mm. It's subjective. It's objective. You know, I appreciate the whole the whole song and dance of this show. Mm. <laughs> but, it's amazing. I, you know, I, I hope that was just them having banter backstage, but it's kind of an obnoxious thing to come in and be like, well, I've got the hardest song. She must have been joking. She must but have been But also, joking. oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But then we see all the boys going out and nailing that and song. And they sing anyway. her song, yeah. Um... What I love is at the end of this song, she sits down inspired yeah. to type. I would love to read that news article. She's not typing the What, she's actually typing? She's just yeah. mashing buttons on a typewriter. I would love to read this gargled nonsense that she yeah. presents. Well, she probably does write something. So my brother was in a show, and during the performance, he had to write a note. Yeah. And every night, he I think he said, oh, no, was it him? It was either him or the girl that played opposite him. They had to write notes to each other, essentially. And obviously the notes in the script said something specific, but they would write nonsense to each other and then have to open it on stage. And I did that when we were doing School of Rock. One of the boys um, who's playing Ned has to read the letter that is from Horace Green saying, you know, here's the cheque for money. Mm -hmm. And during rehearsals, he moved on his line very quickly. And I realised that's because you're not actually reading. Mm-hmm. So I presented three letters, said here's one for each night. I labelled each night, mm-hmm. and it was a test to just—it was just a little bit of fun, but you know, yeah. there's some very something. fun things. I think on the head, I created the header for Horace Green, and even though their name's Horace Green, I put them all in red school uniforms. So it said where we wear green, and the first time you saw it, you had no idea. You could see stifling a laugh, mm-hmm. um, and it is fun having those sort of moments yeah. like so that. So if, but if you're presented type, with a typewriter, yeah, you're she's probably type typed something, something there, but. Yeah. It's just she's mashing buttons, which I thought was fun. Yeah. Um, we go to seize the day, which is great. I did think it was very hand jive, and you then. It's you, just the the beat. The beat, is, but it is. You know, it, I, I could just sing hand born to hand jive baby over top of it. It's just the um, the time progression of the song. It's, yeah. The beat that it's. I'm playing. not criticizing. It's just for me. It was like, oh, in the same way that when I was watching Joseph. Um, I pointed out that I could hear cats in that style. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of songs are very similar anyway, so you're always going to hear other things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll say it again on this podcast and make comparisons from one song to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that the newsies call them papes. Papes, yeah. That's brilliant. Get that, face in the papes. I love it. Um, and this is where they have that brilliant dance break, where they're you know seizing the day, tearing the papes apart. And they throw all the newspapers into the audience at the end of that song. Which is fantastic. And we get the Batman punches. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I've never noticed that until you pointed that out, that every time in Newsy, there's a fight at the end of that song between the Newsies, the police, and the well, workers. It doesn't happen so much with the police. It's the first one with the brothers. The police but it's the Batman punches yeah. and the noises come when they're battling the brothers or the boys that we've already... It's like a proper... Yeah, noise. it's the, the it's the noise, and it's great. Um, and the combat as a whole, as that scene progresses, I like that it starts off funny, but then the noises are absent because it gets a lot darker. Because you're watching adults beat up children. Yeah, Crutchy gets hit by his own crutch. Yeah, and um, one of the boys, when the, when the police officer shows up, yeah. he turns around to the police officer and says, "Thank goodness you're here. They're killing us." 
and then gets instantly gets trunched. Yeah. So yeah, no, it is with his truncheon. It's horrible. And it's it's a really, it gets really dark. Um, I really enjoyed watching you watch that scene because yeah. up to that point, everything's quite light. It is. And as soon as that happens, it changes the tone. It's the stakes. Instantly. And you were just sat there looking at the TV screen with this like blank face. Good storytelling needs stakes. Yeah. And obviously they, they want, um, they want their union. They want their, their better prices, mm-hmm. but the stakes are raised massively because now they're doing it for crutchy yeah. as well. You know, and, and when you realize that the world is against them, it, these stakes are raised massively and you're investing, they become more underdogs. They had a bit of success mm-hmm. and we go back to square one. Um, and then we have Jack abandoning his post out of fear of the rest of the Newsy boys getting hurt. He's not guided by selfishness, he's guided by selflessness. Yeah. And he sings Santa Fe reprise, mm-hmm. and he's giving up on New York because he can't see anyone else get hurt. And that's a yeah. brilliant way to end Act One. You know, Especially considering you thought that season day was going to be the end of Act One. I did, because that's when we had that massive standing ovation. Yeah, and uh, then it devolves into the fight. Fight, and it's very shocking. You know, season the day is is um, triumphant. You feel like they've won, mm-hmm. and you're getting ready to think, great, they're going to go from strength to strength, and they go back. They, they they probably take more steps backwards in that fight. Yeah. So we had the interval. We took a little bit of a break here at the interval because mm-hmm. I wanted to know more about um, Jack, and we talked about him before we we saw it anyway. Um, you were telling me who his rival is. Jeremy Jordan. Yes. Jeremy Jordan's a very famous rival. Jeremy Jordan is the same uh, casting type as Jonathan Groff. Which, you know, Jonathan Groff is a phenomenal performer, you know, from his days in Vocal Adrenaline. We love Jonathan Groff. Yeah. And I don't think Jonathan Groff takes himself seriously as well, which no. is something I really like. Well, Jeremy Renner Jeremy Renner. It's not Jeremy Renner. No, that's Hawkeye. That's a very different it. story. Jeremy Jordan seems not to take himself very seriously either. Yes. Um... I knew who Jonathan Groff was first because mm. of Glee and then because of after I saw him in Glee I then went and watched him in Spring Awakening and everything yeah. else. Jeremy Jordan That's I'm not seeing. If we can if that's ever filmed, mm. that'd be a good one to see. It's hard to watch that show. But it would be a good one for the list, I think. I don't know, I know nothing about it. Yeah, again. Um yeah, no, Jeremy Jordan I saw in Newsies and then the last five years and then I've never seen him in anything else and I know he's in the Tangled TV series and I've heard him sing from that but it seems a little bit of a waste he without sounding rude he's a really good he's good in it he's good and I was so amazed by his performance in Newsies Mm -hmm. and I was thinking what else has he been and why is his why is he not a bigger deal He's quite a big deal. Well, he's a fan favourite. He's a fan favourite. And I wondered why he's not had more theatrical opportunities in the same way Jonathan Groff has. Mm. And I started doing some, like, dream casting of what I'd like to see him in. What would you want? I, I did think. I thought it'd be interesting um, yeah. to see him in Little Shop of Horrors. Which he is in. <laughs> Who's he replaced? Jonathan Groff. Which I think is hilarious. But the thing is, 
I think partly because Rick Moranis is so amazing in the the, the show. Yeah, the and film. Rick Moranis is a dweeb. Yeah, and and I don't think Jonathan Groff or Jack or Jeremy Jordan are Seymours. I don't think they're mm. dweeby enough. I think Jeremy Jordan would be amazing as the dentist, though. Yeah. I could see that. Especially because he's a little older now. He could take on these, these other... He played Doctor uh, in Waitress. Yes, which he's is Doctor Pometer. Awesome. Um, I would love to see him as Sweeney Todd. That'd be interesting. You said he's done some Sondheim? Yeah, not anything big. No, but he's done Sondheim, so he could potentially sing Sweeney Todd style. I could see him with that more mature gravity. I'd love to see him in Rock of Ages, either as Drew or as huh. Stacey Jacks. He was in Rock of Ages. It's one of his first roles. Is he was a swing in yeah. Rock of Ages? But I think he could he could nail Drew or Stacey Jacks. You know, either one of them would be really fun. He's got, you know, he's obviously play a lot older than the character he's playing in Newsies. He's playing a seventeen-year-old boy. So he mm-hmm. can play younger than he actually is. Yeah. Um, so he, he, you know, he could play. That's something I wanted to touch on with this as well, yeah. because you asked me while we were watching the film how old the boys are supposed to be. And the newsboys were anywhere between sort of seven yeah. and 17. Which is quite jarring to have Les, because obviously Les is a child. Yeah. There aren't know, any other small children. There aren't children. any other small children in this cast. And for me, I'd have liked to have seen more. Because yeah. they all look a little older. Now, doing this show, if, if we were to ever do a school production, we're, we're very lucky in the fact we have year 7 to year 10. Yeah. And we've instantly got a range of different ages to play the newsies. Yeah. I'm, I understand that they can't potentially have all children, mm-hmm. but it was noti- noticeable that he was the youngest and there was no one else kind of of his age. Yeah. The but, age gap between him and Davy as well, because the actor that plays Davy was 20-something. Yeah when he was doing this role and the kid playing Les is like 11 or 12 so you, there's a really stark difference between him and everybody else yeah um, but he did get he was a really good character I feel like sometimes he was mugging too much like his facial expressions <laughs> got a little annoying at times Over the top. and the character he's cute he is cute but the character development took a weird turn when he's like I've got a date he spent too much the point is at the start he's really innocent and then he spent too much time with the it was but it was very jarring because it happened very quickly yeah and it was a weird kind of character choice I didn't like his character that much as it went on Mm. um but you know that's just personal preference I'd like to I I love the con man in him like he's a boy but I felt like there was too much of the side with that much with that much kind of development um so yeah the curtains go down and we come back and their faces are in the papes. Yep, we're in the papes. We're in the papes. Do you think, tonally, the end of Act 1 to the start of Act 2 is a bit of a jump? Yes, but they're children. Yeah. And I do think, no matter what they've been through, there'd be an element of, oh, but we're famous now, so what's it matter? Mm-hmm. Because there's that kind of child mentality. Yeah. And the fact that they sell the papes and they're now in the papes. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, okay, well, if nothing comes from this, we'll have our moment of fame. So it does kind of work. Like, yes. My favourite line, spoken line, in the whole show is in this scene, which is one of the newsies says, 
wait till I show my dad, he'll be so proud, I won't be last in line for the bathtub tonight, yeah. which is so funny. And it's like, yeah, but this is it. To it's them, like, oh, how do I prove to dad that I should be the first person involved? There's a lot of things, that it's a lot of these things are fleeting. Yeah. And it's almost like, yeah, we went through this horrible thing yesterday with the fight, or however long it was, but, you know, things will pass, we'll have more success with other, other elements. Yeah. Yeah, and then we, we see Jack... Painting backdrops to the theatre. Mm-hmm. He's leaving for Santa Fe. He's, he's decided up. he has, yeah. Yeah, he's decided, I'm going to go to Santa Fe. And in comes Catherine, in comes Davy, in comes Les. And they try to guilt trip him. Oh, but. And he, he turns the backdrop he's painted to display this brilliant, like... Political cartoon. Political. And at yeah. this point, this is when I knew, right, he's going to become political cartoonist. Mm-hmm. But... He turns to them so impassioned and he says, I'm not being selfish. I'm not giving up on this for me. You saw what they did to Crutchy. I'm not putting anyone else through that. Because where does it stop? Does someone die? Do you want that on your conscience, Davey? Yeah, and because Davey says, why are you so upset? Nobody died. And because Davey is quite sheltered. Like, that's his barometer for bad. But this is the thing. You could look at a character like Jack and start to dislike him for his decision at the end of Act One. Mm-hmm. You could start to think he ran away. He ran, and this was a brilliant job at saying to you, "No, he's not run away." Yeah, because um, Jack really does have a lot of difficult decisions in Act Two. Mm-hmm. Um, some you'll agree with, some you won't agree with, but I think at the end of the time, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you see yourself as Jack. Yeah. And you understand the pressure he's under because he does such a good job with these moral moments where he's trying to justify, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah, so Jack makes his point and he has run away and hidden in Miss Matter's um, theatre, but it's for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, And his friends show up and he gets his second wind. Yeah. And... Now, I'll be honest, I've taken less notes throughout too because I was so engrossed in the story. Which is, I'd rather you wrote less notes because you were into it. But it does make me forget a little bit of like the action. So at this point, is this where we cut back to Pulitzer's office? And um, we have their, their conspiring. So they're going to use the theatre mm-hmm. uh, for a rally. And obviously Pulitzer is terrified by that. And the mayor says, we're not going to go break up. There's nothing wrong with that. They're not breaking the law. And they conspire. They say, well, actually, do you want a known villain? Convict, yeah. Like Jack Kelly, who has done this, this and this. Well, okay, but we'll silently arrest him. Damn it, that's not the point. We don't want to silently arrest him. We want to make a show of this. And then, as if by fate, who is knocking at the office door? But Jack, yeah. And And the entire time this conversation's happening, Catherine is sat on a chair. Yes. In the background. And obviously she's the reporter that's writing about them and she's been blacklisted everywhere and she's already said to the newsies, Pulitzer had me blacklisted. There's very little I can do now. So when you saw her in the in that room with him, what did you think? I, I assumed he had brought her in because he had blacklisted her. He was furious with what she was writing. Yeah. And we were going to get a scene where he was trying to broker a deal where he was going to ask her to infiltrate the newsies and spy. Or do and, something, yeah. And essentially under the premise of, you want to write, mm-hmm. 
no one, no one in this city will let you write for them. Yeah. You do me this and I will have you give you a job. Yeah. And that's where I thought it was going. And then it actually turns out... Well, yeah, she's... she's As Jack comes in, her chair is, is positioned so it's back. It's, it's to Jack. He has mm-hmm. no idea she's there. And then Jack falls completely into Pilots' hands. Yeah. And he reveals his daughter's there. And it's Catherine. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. And you can pinpoint the moment Jack's heart breaks. Yeah. And you can hear audience members gasp. Yeah. But again, it's another moment where the audience is an integral part of this play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's just heartbreaking. He's he's given a he's given the options of you do this and it won't work well for you. Yeah. More of your friends will suffer the way Crotchy has. Yep. And he knows these names, so he's presumably done his research. He knows the characters. Yeah, he's had people um, find out who each of them are, and he's got the news article that Catherine wrote with the photograph of them. Yeah. So he can point at them and say which they are. Like, he knows David. is intimidating. Yeah. Or he says, you go break this up, we'll fund you for it, and that will be the... You can go off to Santa Fe. Yeah, we'll see you. Which, why has Catherine told him that... Maybe Catherine didn't wasn't the one that told him. But she was. She was ashamed of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it was just the premise of, leave him alone, look, just give him what he wants and he'll be gone and you won't have to worry about him again. Maybe it was trying to, you know, appease him and just be like, this is momentary. He just wants out of this city. Give him enough so that he can and you won't have this troublemaker anymore because they won't rally without Jack, which I think is true. They don't, this won't happen if Jack isn't there to lead them. So Jack gets thrown in the basement Printing press. Yes, and that and, made you laugh. Well, what I loved was um, he's got like this little duvet, this, this cloth. It's not a duvet. It's, it's the sheet that was covering the printing it's press. A, it's a sheet. And the music, the, the orchestra, you hear like a beat, beat, beat mm-hmm. to introduce the song. And as that beat, beat, beat goes on, yeah. Jack swings the, um, the, the, the sheet. The sheet perfectly in time for each one down on this desk in frustration and mm-hmm. it was brilliant it was just a lovely moment I laughed at it but it just shows his frustration um, but I then immediately got goosebumps mm-hmm. oh, when all the other newsies show up for this rally they're yep. all coming to theatre Brooklyn's here all the other districts of New York so are there so this song was written for the musical yeah for I the stage really liked that moment and you've got the juxtaposition of Jack just you know head obscured by his hat mm-hmm. he's just trying to sleep and obviously think about what he's going to do and it's such a difficult choice for him to do but Brooklyn's here is brilliant mm-hmm. um, it really felt like everything was coming together yeah but where's Jack exactly and Davey's there to stand up and Davey obviously does a great job he's more He's more book smart than any other newsie. Yeah. And he does a really good job at speaking to them. And he starts to get them all rallied. And Jack shows up. Mm-hmm. Frustrated. And he takes the deal. Yeah, and he instantly basically shuts down the entire rally because his he agrees with Davey, but the opinion that he puts across is that it's a waste of time. Yeah. 
But whether or not that's his belief or not, it's done because he's trying to save everyone. Yeah, and Pulitzer hands over. Pulitzer's man hands Was over. Was it Spider Snyder who handed over the money? On? No, it's his... Um, one of the secretaries. One I think it's his accountant. Yeah. Um, he hands over a big wad of money to Jack to... And everyone sees that. It's not subtle. It's a, yeah. you've taken a deal, you've betrayed us. It's public. And uh, Les runs up to him and it's the moment that you sort of see Davy's heartbreak. It's because yeah. he turns around as if he's going to hit Les. Yeah. And Les runs away. Yeah. And Davy's just sitting there looking at him as if, like, who are you? Could you imagine? If <laughs> he accidentally got the No, I, no I was going to could you imagine if Crutchy was in this scene? Yeah, that would be really sad. That would have been so heartbreaking for Crutchy yeah. to see his... Idol. Idol. But I think that's what it's that. like for Les. No, it is. But somebody who means more, I guess, is what my point is. It's like, Les, yeah, it's great. He only knows him from this, like, two-week period, however mm-hmm. it's been going on. But Crutchy has been with him for I don't know how long, and that would really be yeah. monumental. Uh, so we go from this this disaster of a rally, and he goes back to the hostel, he goes to his roof, or to his, his, his room. Mm-hmm. And Catherine's there, rummaging through his through stuff. His stuff. She's, a, she's a reporter. They, they've got yeah. no limits. You know, she's nosy. And she sees his illustrations, and we see the refuge. Yeah, we see what the refuge looks like. And, again, we get the image up on the digital display, which is great. We can mm-hmm. see what they're talking about. And it has got... It's, it's that quality of, of um, drawing that you see in, like, history source books. Like, mm-hmm. it is brilliant. And Yeah, it's three kids to a bed, and... Rats. Rats everywhere, and none of them being fed, none of them have clothes. Yeah. And Catherine realises that the reason that Jack's a convicted criminal is because he was stealing clothes and food to take to the refuge. He was Jean Valjeaning. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> essentially, that's what he was. And it's, that, again, a moral dilemma of, is it ethical to steal? Only if you're Robin Hood, yeah. Yeah, you know, like... Stealing for moral reasons. He's not doing it for personal gain. He's getting nothing out of this. He's doing it mm. because he's got all these mouths to feed and provide for. Yeah. Now, is does that make him a bad guy in the eyes of the law? Yes, but in a humane way, is he a bad person? And he's vindicated in it because, as we see at the end, Teddy Roosevelt sees his drawing and shuts down the yeah. uh, the refuge. Which is great. And I knew that was going to be a big plot point going forward because why have this big deal? Yeah. And they sing... What do you think of this song? Something to Believe In. I thought it was really sweet. I like it. It's a really sweet song. It's really... I think that's a really good romantic song. In the way that I don't often find... Like, I think he falls insta-love Yeah. Which I think is dumb in any movie or musical. But when you get to this point and they sing Something to Believe In, the reasoning that they have for falling in love is that in believing in each other they have found like a meaning for their existence which is sweet and I like that as that's right and it is it is nice and I think tonally it reminds me a lot of um um a place to go home from Wind in the Willows I feel like there's a place to come back to yeah Yeah, that's cute um and it's a really cute sweet song and the lead up where they kiss is is really good because you can see he's angry at her so-called betrayal, not because it's hurt the cause, because it's hurt him as a person. Yeah. 
Because um, he was in love with her. Yeah, and the way they get closer and closer and then eventually just kiss is great. And the songs... And they're talking about how they would... If she was a boy, I'd have punched you by now. And My fist would be in your mouth. And, yeah, she says, if I was a boy, I would have punched you by now. And then he and says, go on then, and she kisses him. Yeah. And it's a really nice song, and they conspire, like, this isn't the end. You know, yeah. we can do something with this. Oh, if only there was a printing press. If That's only hilarious. there was a printing press somewhere out there that that my father had no control over. And great, dramatic irony. We know something no one else knows because there is a printing press that no one knows about, locked away in a basement. And it's He's right the cause under, of his own undoing. Yeah, it's right under his nose. It was his hubris of, I'm going to lock you in. He didn't have to lock him in as a prisoner it was him no thinking, he could have let him go yeah and it, it's it's Pulitzer's hubris thinking that I am above everyone else I've got everything mm-hmm. so perfectly planned and it led to his undoing and they go straight there they break into the factory and they put together their manifesto and not only do they break into the factory they make their their pamphlet that they're handing out and every newsie from New York manages to walk in and out of this building I didn't understand though why we had other trust fund kids. <laughs> like, so this is the thing, and it's you all don't, weird, yeah. You don't get it so much from the musical, but in the actual history of yeah. what happened, you had the sons of rival newspaper owners helping, yeah. and the guy that is Hearst's son. So Pulitzer owned the world, and Hearst yeah. owned the Sun. Yeah, and which is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious wordplay. What yeah. would you rather own, the Sun of the world? Um, and Bill, which is Hurst's son, didn't agree with what his father was doing, so he went behind his back to help the yeah. cause, which is hilarious because as somebody who is in line to take over this newspaper business, he's been taught how to use a printing press yeah. because I assume like his father has been like, oh, if you're going to run my business, you need to understand how we got here. Which is printing. It's kind of fun that he's probably made his son work with the general population of the company. Yeah. And work his way up, like our jobs around there. I do think I was trying. I was trying. And it's backfired. Yeah, I was trying to put myself in the rationale of why would they do it, and it's just because are they good people? Well, they're also supposed to be of a similar age this is are they good people that realise this is the right thing to do or are they just really business savvy that realise if they don't sort this mess out now it's going to affect them going forward thanks for both like I'd have loved to know more about the rationale for why it's a plot point that just comes out of nowhere I'd love to know obviously time constraints we can't have like a full five minute dialogue that says why they're here but yeah well this is the thing though because Hurst's son is the man that's walking with Catherine at the beginning. Yes. She already knows him. I, and she I, would, because, you know... They prob- yeah, they've read the together. They probably played hide-and-seek in the, the printing press offices. Yeah. Uh, we get such a brilliant scene here. The song, Once and For All. Yeah. Um, everything about it is brilliant. So they, they put together the printing press, they put together their leaflet, their newsletter, mm-hmm. and they... they throw the bundles up these stairs. Yeah. And you tell me, put my pen down and watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only time I think I've said, no, you need to watch this In anything we've done. Scene. And the scaffolding comes forward. It's and the light. audience lose their mind. It's brilliant. I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now, like, just thinking about that moment. <laughs> it was brilliant. I was, you know, I did say to you, oh, they're going to throw the, the manifesto in the audience. And you're like, no, it would no, be too expensive. expensive. Yeah. But um, I really liked that bit. Um, yeah, that song, um, 
is really, really powerful. Yeah. Because it's... It's the one day more of this, like, everything's going to change and we're going to have our day. Sure. I like this song better than one day more. Yeah, but... I, I like this song. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and then we go to our final act. Yeah. Pullet says, life is a mess. The phone is ringing off the hook. Oh, it's so great that they're calling and calling. Because everyone is... So, Jack, their, their plan is they're going to appeal to all the... Child working workers, children. working children, anyone 21 or under, and say, stop, do not go to work, yeah. stay at home. So it's not just newsies anymore, it's every working child. And if they all, they either said to them, all stay at home, or all come to Newsy Square. Yeah. So the majority of people go to Newsy Square, but yeah. obviously not everyone. And he's got all these different businessmen saying, sort out your mess. Because you're ruining it for the rest of us. Because you're ruining it for the rest of us. And this is another moment where his employees just have great moments. Mm-hmm. That they're just all exasperated. They hang out the phones and they keep ringing. The the, the female um, the secretary, secretary yeah. she just says, some of their language... Yeah. Which is brilliant. She's traumatised. Um, and then in walks Jack like a wrecking ball. Yeah. Because he knows he's got, he's he's won the game. Yeah. And they they, they, they look at the leaflet and go, this is amazing. <laughs> like, they're kind this of in This is very well written. <laughs> very well written. And... Who would walk in? Other than Governor Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. And Jack's fanboying over Teddy is brilliant. Like, he's like, here we showed a cab one day. He's like, oh! And they shake hands. They shake hands. Looking at David like he touched my hand. I will never wash this hand again. Yeah. So this is the thing that um, the night before this happens, the last thing that Jack says to Catherine is, "You need to go. You've got a very important man to see." Yeah. And if you don't know what they're talking about, that's such a throwaway line. And then it turns out she went to see Teddy Roosevelt, and she, she told him about what's happening. Because Miss Meta knows him. And what's lovely here is the fact that Teddy Roosevelt speaks to Pulitzer and he's got a beef, you know, like a beef with him because it was a kind of throwaway line at the start was that Pulitzer never liked him him and actively said so in the media and tried to cause opposition to his his run for governor. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, since that, that would just put an even bigger smile on my face. Yeah. She's threatening to investigate and hold him accountable for a lot of misdemeanours and, yeah. you know, a poor business strategies. Like having his, his workers beat up other workers. Yeah. And Pilots says, fine, OK, everyone out, we're going to negotiate. Yeah. And I do feel there's redemption for Pilots here. Why? And I think this comes more... I think I know what you're going to say. I think this comes more from a really good performance as opposed to a a deliberate decision. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the the banter between the pair of them as they negotiate and Jack mocking him. But when um, Jack presents a really good business opportunity... Yeah. Pulitzer pauses and he thinks and he reflects and he he offers praise. Yeah. He's, you've got a good head on your shoulders, yeah. he says. Yeah. And it's one of those small things that it's kind of like, he's not a bad guy. He's just a businessman who's more obsessed with money, money than, people. than people. And now that he's speaking to the people and understanding the impact, mm-hmm. he does do a kind of yeah. re-evaluation. The first, the first thing that they talk about when everybody else leaves the room is he says, I can't put the price back to what it was Originally, I can't be seen to do that. Yeah. 
so I can put it down by half. And Jack says, yeah, I'm not an idiot. I didn't think you were ever going to put it back down all the way. Yeah, and Jack negotiates this brilliant deal for the newsies that they can sell back anything. And Pilots is like, no, because I'll, I'll get bankrupted because they're going to buy more. And he's like, do you really think these newsies are going to break their backs carrying what they can't do? No, yeah. but they're going to buy more from you mm-hmm. because they'll be more optimistic. They can tell them there's no risk. But if they sell more, that increases your um, publicity. Yeah. And he, he says to him, he stops, he pauses, he smiles. Now, I don't know if that's a damage. For me, I felt, you know he's what? He's probably the actor. He's not a villain. He's not a bad person. I don't know more about his practices. This is very much, you know, uh, P.T. Barnum. You know, mm. maybe they've glossed over the worst that Pallets has done for the sake of a musical. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, I'm not a fan of The Greatest Showman. Um, <laughs> me either. We will never cover that on Because luckily I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and never will again. But... There we go, losing half a fan base before yeah, we get one. But um, I'm sure there's more to the real-life character of Palitzer that is seedy and is not nice. But in this moment, I liked him. I didn't see him as a villain. He wasn't someone to be, to be thrown in the stacks and made a public fall of. He was aware he'd made a mistake yeah. and aware now of the value that people present and maybe will change as a result of this experience. I was left optimistic. Yeah. And we get closure, because Crutch is released. Yep, Crutch is back. The refuge is closed. Snyder, the spider, is taken to prison. And put in cuffs by Crutch, then whacks him. Yep. And um, Pulitzer, yep. at the bidding, or suggestion of Roosevelt, mm-hmm. offers Jack a job. Yes, during one political cartoon a week. But does that mean that he's going to sit in with Teddy Roosevelt and kind of draw what happens behind the scenes in the governors? No, it's more Because he mentioned you've be, got this person here. It's more likely to be he's given information about what the government are doing and then he draws a cartoon based on that. Yeah. And everything ends... With a kiss. With a kiss. <laughs> and, and I think happily ever after. Yeah. I think... Ish. Well, ish. You know, in this moment in time... The newsies have rights, mm-hmm. and more child workers will have rights, I reckon, yeah. than they did before. Uh, Jack has a future in something he's passionate about, but also can still potentially be on the front lines with the newsies looking after them. Mm-hmm. I think we go back to kind of where they were at the start, that things are better for them. Yeah. And they've been on a journey, and I think they're better off for it. Yeah. I did love the encore when they all came out and danced. Yeah. I especially loved that um, Jeremy Jordan couldn't do a proper... <laughs> he tried to click his pain, heels. Pain click his heels, but he couldn't. And he but, jumped and nearly hit the floor, yeah. But that was really fun. Um, standing ovation, the audience were into it. Um, and then at the end of the um, standing ovation, everyone throws newspapers up onto the stage. Which I thought was lovely. Which is really funny. Yeah, it was a really, really nice moment. Yeah. So that was Newsies. Yeah. Uh, my MVP yep. is Jack, I yeah, think, Jack as a character. Jordan. I don't want it to be that it's always the main character. But I think with this, he really carries that show. He does. What I will say, I think this show, on stage, it's Jack. Yeah. But the set design, with that mm. scaffolding, mm-hmm. massive MVP to them. Yeah. But I will also say the choreography of Christopher Catelli again just 
beautiful yeah. um, and amazing. So MVP to those guys as well. And obviously Alan Menken, because we love all these yes, songs. Yes, Alan Menken, best song. <laughs> best song I do think is The World Will Know. Okay. For me, that's what I really like. But honourable mentions go to uh, Watch... Watch What Happens. Watch What Happens and Once and For All. Cool. Yeah. Nice. What, what was your, um, out of interest, what's your least favourite song? Um, can I be honest? That I do think it is That's Rich. That's really funny because that song was written to replace High Hopes. Yeah. Whatever it was called. The one that won hard the Times, Golden Razzie. High Times, Hard Times, the one that won a Razzie. I just, I kind of feel like it's very forgettable. I like that song. Yes. I, my least favourite song in the show was written for this version of it, this yeah. um, this restaging of it, um, which is Letter from the Refuge, the one that Crutchy sings. We actually didn't talk yes. about that scene at all. It's, I mean, to be honest, it's it's a non-factor as a scene. Yeah. Um, well, but, it, I mean, this it is was it. written to replace a scene where Jack climbs up to the window yeah. and talks to Crutchy in the refuge. So this, I did wonder during that scene, and, and I'm looking at, um, I've got like my notes are of, of what each song is. Which, like, this, that song's not even on here. Yeah, no. You know, um, I did wonder how a letter was going to get to Jack in the first place. I thought it was just like... Uh, he gives it out the window to one of the other newsies. It, it was forgettable, but it was nice to see that he still had belief in him. I think it's an important scene to show that he still has belief in Jack, that Jack will yeah. do right. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed Newsies. Mm-hmm. I gave it five stars. I hoped that you would. I thought you enjoyed that one. I really enjoyed it. It's it's very engaging. I think I'm a big fan of historical yeah. representations of real life, but I'm also very much a fan of something that tackles difficult topics. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, unionisation, there's always great arguments for and against it. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on politics. I'm not the person to say this is what we should do. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really nice to see a musical that deals with with tougher, tougher topics. You know, it's why things like Waitress stick with me because they don't beat around the bush. They they show you real life and the real life struggles of people. And for me, that's why it resonated so much. It wasn't over the top fairy tale fair. Which loved into the woods, yeah. Um, but obviously, like, it's a fairy tale. You, you know, I think it touches on some quite dark topics. It does, but through the lens of a fairy tale, exactly. and you like the historical. And aspect. I, yeah, which it, you know, this just gives me hope that when I do eventually see Hamilton, it will live up to its reputation. It did for me. Yeah, but I think, I think Newsies and Hamilton must be quite similar in kind of content of we're about a revolution and the politics of a real time. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know more about actually this newsy strike yeah. as a result of this. So I gave it five stars. Cool. I'm really glad that you enjoyed that one. I thought you would, which is why I suggested it. But, you know, I'm never sure with you. I thought you would enjoy Joseph, but yes. you didn't. So. Now, our next episode is one that's very important to you and one yes. that you're really hopeful I'm going to like. It really, really is, because next week we are looking at Phantom of the Opera. And Phantom of the Opera is perhaps the biggest musical we've tackled so far, would you say? certainly. But I mean in terms of status. Yeah. You know, Joseph, 
um, Into the Woods, Newsies. Into the Woods is a big deal in America. Newsies is a cult classic. So I think, yeah, Phantom, Phantom of the Opera big. is a big deal to a lot of people, yourself included. It's yep. a story. I know I know more about Phantom of the Opera. When we talk about what I know, we'll talk a lot more than we did for Newsies. Yeah. I think... Jack Speck, because I sing Phantom constantly. But not even from that. Phantom is something that is pop culture relevant. Yeah. So it's a big one. I know a lot of people love this show mm-hmm. and it's one that's always brought up as important so yeah. this will be kind of our first big mm-hmm. musical I think yeah and it's also likely to be quite a long episode yeah, so you know have a cup of tea maybe pause it a few times to get yourself some coffee yeah um, in the meantime though you can find us on spotify we usually our spotify episode drops a few days after we post on podbean Mm -hmm. you can find us on stitcher on soundcloud yep uh you can follow us on instagram yep and and twitter at it's a musical pod yep where you could maybe email us at it's a musical pod at gmail.com yes let us know your thoughts did i get it right with newsies um is there anything more you'd like me to know about the conversation maybe you want to get involved in the conversation about one of our previous episodes we've covered um into the woods and joseph maybe you want to get involved in the conversation for phantom of the opera uh maybe you'd just like to know a little bit more about us you know, yeah. tweet us, Instagram us, email us. Um, and have a lovely musical Monday. Yes. 